Hi everyone, time for a disclaimer. The information contained in this episode is not intended to be personal financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a professional before making any financial decisions and always do your own research. Let's get into the episode. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money Boy. This is Black Millennial Money. Hello and welcome to Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money and spend your money on the finer things in life. I am your host, Joseph Osu, and today we have a special guest, me. But before we get into all of that, let's cover some of the notices. Some of you are watching this on YouTube, some of you are listening on Spotify or on Apple Music and you still haven't subscribed, liked or shared. Now is your opportunity to do that. I'm going to give you three seconds just to like, subscribe and share with a few friends before we go on. All right, perfect. So this week's episode is a little bit different. I am your host. I am your guest because I have a particular expertise on today's episode. Today, we're talking about spending money and particularly about buying cars. This episode is called Beamer, Benz or Bentley. And for those of you who don't know, I have some experience in this space. So we're going to do a quick guest bio as we do with every guest on Black Millennial Money, even though it's me doing it on myself this week. But let's be crystal clear. I am not doing this to brag or doing this for attention this is just the career i've had so previously i worked for ford and mercedes-benz and during those times i sold over half a million pounds worth of cars whether that was cash finance or business sales i did it all and as you will know i'm the founder of black millennial money so i know a little bit about a little bit about personal finance and i spent a lot a lot of time actually getting to grips with particularly cars in this space and also how people manage their finances around major purchases because cars are the second most expensive thing on average that most people buy after their house so three things you should know about me firstly i have a deep love of popcorn literally since i was a kid um about the age two my parents recall me literally walking up to other people and taking popcorn off their plates whenever they'll be having house parties to this very day mixed salt and sweet popcorn is my thing like I can eat all day, every day, and it just can't be in the same room as me. I can't be in the same room as popcorn and not eat some. So yeah, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that I'm currently writing a book that's due to come out. And lo and behold, it's on personal finance. Um, I'm not going to reveal the name yet, but it is specifically about the Black experience when it comes to money. And I think you guys are going to love it. So stay tuned to how that progresses. And yeah, that's point number two. Point number three. I used to have a really bad stutter as a kid. I did stutter quite a lot. And now I stutter a little bit, which is weird considering I'm a podcast host. I've been in sales. I do presentations all the time and I talk a lot as it is. Um, Most people have no idea that I still stutter a little bit to this day. For some reason, it's only when I'm on the spot. And usually I'm on the spot when people ask me my name. So (laughs) often when people ask me my name on the spot, I have this moment where like I know my name, but I'm going to start so badly when I'm about to say it and you're going to think I don't know my own name and it happens all the time. So if I ever meet any of you in person, for those of you who already know me, you may have noticed that the first time we spoke where when it came time to saying my name, it was a little bit embarrassing and it probably took me a while to get around to doing it. Um, so yeah, those are, my three, those are the three things you, you guys should know about me. So Deep Love of Popcorn, book is coming soon on personal finance from the Black Millennial Experience. And I used to stutter quite significantly. I still do a little bit now. 
But without further ado, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode where we're talking about how you can buy your cars. Spending money is a, an essential piece of personal finance. And on these episodes, I get really excited because I know these are things that excite people. So when I used to work for Mercedes, I had every single Mercedes you could possibly think of. I drove the two-door convertible, the SLK. I had A-classes, left, right, and center. I had a C-class, C-class um, saloon, black leather. So black on the outside, cream leather interior, panoramic roof, I had all the bits and pieces. Um, drove a four by four version of it. I had an E-class coupe for a long time. And people would always ask me how I got these cars. And number one, they're company cars. I don't, I'm not made of money to be changing my cars that regularly. But it did lead to a lot of people asking me how to buy cars. And even when people were coming to a dealership, because I would, I again, sold over half a million pounds worth of cars. I've seen a number of people coming and approaching the car buying process from a variety of different angles. Whenever people come and ask me for advice as to buy a car, I always start from the same place, understanding the need. So why do you want a car? And this can often be a revealing question because a lot of people say, I just need a car. A lot of people say um, to go to work or for the kids or to help it just will make my life easier. It's just so much more convenient, right? And um, those are often, and there's nothing wrong with your reasoning, but it's about being honest with your reasonings. And this leads usually on to why do you want this specific car? Because a lot of the times when people come, especially when I was working at Mercedes, less so when I was at Ford, for obvious reasons, people were less, they were like, oh, that's a cool car, but never like, I want that car until I started turning up in Mercedes. Um, but the thing was that they were really excited about that specific car. No one got excited when I was turning up in a Fiesta, even though it was a brand new Fiesta, less than a hundred miles on the clock, all the latest gadgets. But when I turned up in that E-Class, that white E-Class with a black with a black roof or the convertible SLK, top down with the top of my head burning in the sun, literally melting in the car in traffic. But you had to have the top down, right? And it was because... They wanted to. That they wanted. They wanted to shine. They wanted to stunt, and it's fine. It's you've got to be really honest with yourself about why you want the specific car you want. Because for all the reasons that you'll say to move my kids around to get to work, because it's more convenient, you could go and buy a. You could go and buy a car from ten years ago and have all of those things t- taken care of. Save yourself a ton of money. But there's a reason why you want a car that came out this year with a. Com- that's a convertible with the big rims on it, and be honest. Be super honest about it. You may have worked really hard and you want to treat yourself. And remember, you can treat yourself without spending 50 grand on a car. You can treat yourself without spending 100 grand on a car. No matter how much you spend, you can still treat yourself. But be brutally honest with yourself before you make this commitment. Because as I said, this is the second biggest purchase most people make in their life after their house. So the only thing most people buy that's more expensive than the average car, and I'm talking no matter what car you get, is going to be your house. And when you take this decision with that level of seriousness, because it is a finance agreement for a lot of people. Very few people are buying their cars cash nowadays. It's essential that you're super real with yourself and know, and know why you're getting yourself into this. Because if something goes left, which often happened in the dealership, I, I'd sold people cars and within two months, they're coming back to me saying, how, how do I get out of this? I'm like, bro, you signed a contract for four years. You can't get out of this for at least another two years. And I had people, there's one particular guy when I was working at Ford, he came in with a Range Rover, brand new Range. No, it wasn't brand new. It was two years old. And it had all the kit on it at the time. So panoramic roof, the 22-inch rims, full leather heated seats, the whole, the whole shebang. 
and he wanted to trade that for a Ford Fiesta <laughs> because his wife, who he had got the car for, because she'd really wanted it, because she wanted to drive the kids around, had been curbing the alloys and getting punches left, right, and center. And he had no idea that because of the way she was driving, but also because it's a big old car, to change four tires on a Range Rover costs a thousand pounds. To change four tires on a, on a Ford Fiesta could cost you four hundred pounds, and he could happily adjust to that. So he was there, willing to do anything to get out of this car. So if you're not honest with yourself, it's harder when things go left. But once we've covered the needs element of it, why do you need a new car? And being honest with yourself, the next thing I go on to is the budget, because a lot of time people underestimate the budget, especially when they're financing a the car. But even when they're buying it outright, when you're buying it cash. A lot of people don't really do the sums the way that someone who's in the business who sold a lot of cars to people would would approach it. So the first thing I always do is I, I have a real cost of car ownership calculator, and it's going to be a downloadable PDF for you guys who are watching this. Um, you can download it from the website when the episode goes live. That's blackmillennialmoney.com. But what we do, what we go through is we first off take your deposit, and if you're not if you're not um, a, a buying your car with finance we take the full amount of the car and divide that by 12 over the average ownership of the car. So if, you, if you're buying a 10,000 pound car and you're planning on keeping it five years, we divide 10,000 pounds by 60 months to give you a rough monthly payment of what you're actually paying for the car if you're paying for it monthly. If you are, um, again, on finance, we divide the deposit you're going to put down by the same period, so over five years. So if you put down a £2,000 deposit, we'll divide that by 60 months to give you a monthly payment over a five-year ownership period. And then if you are financing it, we add your monthly payment onto that amount. And then whatever you pay annually for car tax or your road tax, we divide that by 12, add that to a payment. And then we have a fuel estimate. So if you drive less than a two-litre car, you're roughly looking about £100 a month in fuel, give or take as an estimate. If you know you spend more than that, you put whatever number that is. If you've got more than a two-liter car, we generally put about 150 pounds a month. But as the size of the engines gets bigger, you can you can add 50 pounds per month, 50 pounds per extra liter. So if it's a two-liter car, you're about 150 pounds. If it's a three-liter car, you're about 200 pounds, and so on. So we add that to the monthly payment. And then where people usually mess up is the maintenance cost. Just like that guy with the Range Rover. The maintenance cost of the car, if, you're, if the total purchase price of the car is less than £20,000, I usually allow 5% a year for maintenance. And that's not necessarily because you're going to get a puncher, you're going to get any sort of issues. But that 5% can just cover your servicing. So if you've got a 20 grand car, 5% of that leaves you about £1,000 a year in maintenance. And that roughly makes sense in terms of how much it costs you to service, especially if you're going to the main dealer as a manufacturer at a manufacturer dealership. because that may be a, a part of your contractual agreement when you take out a finance agreement that you have to get it maintained by a, an approved, an approved dealer. And they usually cost more than the people to get it maintained by an approved mechanic. And that usually costs more than the random guy up the road who could probably do just as good a job, but has no ability to I say he's a certified Mercedes engineer or Ford engineer and so forth. And if you have a car that costs more than 20,000 a year, I usually allow 10, a 10%. So if you're getting into luxury vehicles, if you're driving maybe an E-Class, which is about 40,000 pounds, if you're um, 
if you're driving maybe a Range Rover or even anything bigger, roughly 10% a year for maintenance. Because when you're looking at curbed alloys, when you're looking at punches, when you're looking at services, um, and you can even include washing of the car in that, in that, in that overall maintenance figure, that 10% or 5%, depending on the value of the car, gives you a rough indication. And then you divide that figure by about 12. So you divide that by 12 to give you a monthly figure and you add that to the amount that we're tracking for so far. The other thing to bear in mind is that most people, on average, you get one sort of parking t ticket or a motoring related expense, like a fine of some sort, once a quarter. So on average, um, in, in London at least, if you get a parking ticket or fine, it's £30 if you pay it within the first two weeks. We've got the congestion charge, which recently went up to, I think, £15 a day. So once we add all of that, we get to a roughly to a rough figure of about um, £45 a quarter. £45 a quarter, so that totals £135 a year. Divide that by 12 again and add that figure to the monthly amount. Now, I know this is, this is going to be a lot of numbers, but at the end of it, if you go to the website and download the monthly, the month, the, the car maintenance calculator, the PDF, it'll take you through the stage by stage. It'll make a lot more sense to those of you who are listening. But the point of all of this is, is once, is once you've got this figure, you can actually figure out how much it costs you to own a car. And one thing I forgot to mention is your insurance. Putting in your insurance is a key element of ownership. So you may go into a dealership and the advert said, it's, oh, it's £250 a month for this car with a 5K deposit. I'm like, right, I can afford that. But once you've added insurance and all the other things that we've spoken about that you're going to pay for potentially at some point down the line, you realize that that £250 a month car is actually more like £500 a month, maybe even 600 And now you're thinking, is this really as affordable as I thought it was? Because that's the biggest challenge that most people find. They only think about the monthly payment and deposit. They don't necessarily think about all the additional maintenance things. And some people do look up the insurance cost, but they don't think about the day-to-day -day living with this vehicle. And that's where you can mess up financially. And after you've done all of that, you can say, okay, I really want this car for X reason. I want this specific car for this reason, but could I achieve this by going to a different make? So I initially wanted a Mercedes. Okay, maybe I can't afford a Mercedes, but I know that VWs are cheaper. Can I get a VW? Can I get a Ford? And you may not like the outcome, but if you're, look, if you're thinking about your pockets, honestly, you may find that that's the best decision for you going long term. Now, talking, once you've done your budgets, you've assessed your needs, the next thing is to figure out how you want to buy the car. Now, there's generally five ways to buy a car. Some of them, they may, some, some manufacturers call them different things. Some car brokers and car dealers call them different things. And some of them, they, they combine them a little bit and tweak them to a, to a certain standard. But fundamentally, they are very, very similar. The first way is cash. Nice and simple. You walk into a dealership. They ask you how much. Well, you negotiate a price for the car. Say the car is 20000 maybe even 10000 And you literally put that, you put down your debit card. You bring your ID because if it's over, you can't, if it's over a certain amount, you need to provide ID to prevent money laundering. And also for those of you who don't know, you can't pay more than a thousand pounds in cash for any vehicle in the UK, again, to prevent money laundering, because it used to be a really simple way to just flip your cash when you are doing illegal activities. So you go in and buy a 20,000 pound car, you go sell it for 15 grand and now you've got 15,000 pounds of legal money because you can prove how you got the money. 
So you walk into a dealership, you pay cash, and that's on your debit card. You can pay check even to this day, which is insane to me, but you can do that or you can do a bank transfer. And that's, the, that's one way of buying a card. The other way is a higher purchase. Now, higher purchase, we're all pretty familiar with. You basically make your monthly payments and then at the end of it, you own the car. It's the same way you would, for example, buy a sofa if you're getting that on finance or if you're um, paying off a loan. So you just make the monthly payments and at the end of it, whatever you bought with the money, you own it. The next way is called PCP. And this is usually called, um, this is usually referred to as a personal contract purchase. And this is the way where you end up with a balloon figure at the end. So in, the, in a lot of the diagrams you see online and in dealership, they have, they have a picture of a car and they color it into three sections. The first part is the deposit, the middle bit is the monthly payment, and the end of it is the balloon figure or what they marketing-wise called it, the GMFV, the Guaranteed Minimum Future Value. So what that means is you can have the car for maybe two years, three years, or four years, but after all of that, you don't own the car yet. There's still money to pay, which is that balloon figure or GMFV, the Guaranteed Minimum Future Value. And after the, after, at the end of the agreement, you can decide whether you want to keep the car, you trade the car in for a new model or a different car, and you could do that at any manufacturer. You don't have to go for like, if you're at a Peugeot to go and get another Peugeot, you can take that Peugeot to Nissan or Toyota and get a different car. And the final option is that you can just give them back the car and walk away. Now, a PCP is the most common way of buying cars nowadays, simply because the monthly payment is cheaper because you're not actually paying for the full amount of the car. You get a smaller monthly payment. When you, comp when you compare a PCP to a HP, a higher purchase agreement where you're buying a car outright to own it, the monthly payments are roughly double for the exact same period of time. So if you're, if you're doing a PCP agreement for three years and you're doing a higher purchase agreement for three years, the monthly payment will be roughly double because you're paying for the entire car. It's a way in which it makes it easier and more affordable for more people to get into a car, but it doesn't give you car ownership. It gives you car usage. And that's the key thing to understand. And that can be a great way for you to buy a car if you're not planning on keeping a car long term. So if, you're, if you know you're gonna get bored of this car within two or three years and you wanna change it for something different, this is a perfect way to buy it. It makes it cheaper, but it's not the cheapest way to do the exact same thing, especially if you know you're not going to want to own the car at the end. The next one is a personal lease or personal contract hire. Um, now, a personal lease works the same way as a business lease in a lot of ways. The only difference is, is that it's in your name rather than in a company name. And what this means is the same way, um, for example, a big taxi company like Addison Lee may all may go to Ford, which is what they do. They go to Ford and they say, we would need a thousand Ford Galaxies for our drivers, right? They need a, a thousand of those people carriers. They basically rent those cars from Ford for two or three years and then they give it back to them. The same thing happens as a personal, a personal lease or a business lease where you it's basically you renting a car for one year, two years, three years, or even up to four or five years. And at the end of it, you give them back the car and you go pick another one and start another agreement. This is the cheapest way to actually have a car that you're not planning on owning ever. So if you're the type of person that likes to change your cars every couple of years, this could be the great way, a great way for you to do it under a personal lease. There are advantages if you have a business to do it on a business lease because the car can be declared as a business expense. However, if you're also using it as your primary car, when it comes to tax season, you may have to pay additional tax because you have access to the car and you use it as a personal car as well, which attracts something called benefit in kind tax. So Google that and check that out before 
you put a car under your business name. Um, but the key advantage with the personal lease and the business lease is that you can include your maintenance costs in a monthly payment. So if you wanted to include your servicing, anything at all that goes wrong in a car, so much as a scratch, you can include that in your monthly payment and the company will, will do all of the maintenance and refurbishments anytime that it's required. So that's MLTs, servicing. Um, sometimes you can get your tax included depending on who you get it through. And they take care of all of it. Even if you, cur if, if you, if you scratch your alloys, they can and will take care of it if you put that into the agreement. It does make your monthly payment higher, but in a lot of ways, it still works out cheaper than doing a PCP or a higher purchase. But with these five methods of buying a car, it's all about what your overall objective is. So if you want to buy and keep a car forever, you're looking at buying it cash or higher purchase. There, often, there is no real advantage if you're, trying to, if you're going to be changing your cars quickly or soon to do anything to do either of those if you're trying to have your car for a short period of time with the option to buy it at the end of it because you're not sure what you're thinking maybe in two or three years time so i found a lot of people um like newlyweds or people that were in relationships that were, that were potentially planning on having kids or maybe buying a house in a couple of years what they would do is they would get a pcp agreement for maybe two or three years knowing that something major is going to change in their life whether that's having children whether it's buying a house or anything else, maybe you're moving country and you only need it for a very short period of time. They would do that knowing that it gives them the option to decide if they wanna buy it at the end to keep it, if it still makes sense for them, or they can just trade it back in for a new car or just give back the keys for another car. So that gives you the flexibility if you have a plan on owning. It's kind of like a mix between a lease, a personal lease and a cash purchase or a higher purchase agreement. So it's a mix between the two. The next, the next two options are for people who are definitely not going to keep the car for no matter how long it is. So whether that's 12 months, you can actually do um, personal and business leases for as little as six months in some cases. And it's more expensive to do it for a short period of time, but it's available to you. So if you know for sure that you're never, ever, ever going to keep this car, you can take out either a personal lease or a business lease. And even some of those may give you the option to buy at the end if you so choose. Now, um, now that you've understood the five different ways to buy a car and you're thinking about your own personal circumstances, shopping around is the most important thing you can do. That is the most important thing because it's essentially live market research of understanding what, it's, what this car is truly worth and which man, what salespeople are telling you the truth. So if you go to three or four dealerships and you hear the same thing about a car, chances are that's true. If you go to three dealerships and you hear three different things, someone is lying. <laughs> someone is trying to convince you to buy that car today because they're chasing a commission. And this is where going to multiple dealerships is a key part of the car buying process. No matter what they say, never commit to buying a car on the first visit to a showroom. Never, ever, ever commit to buying that car that day for two reasons. Number one, you haven't done enough research to know whether or not you're getting a good deal. Number two, chances are you've been pressured by a very slick salesperson and you're going to have a lot of buyer's remorse and buyer's remorse is where you buy something and you feel guilty about it. I have had that a lot of the time, even if, it, even if they say put a deposit down because it could be sold like the second you walk out of this door, that couple over there is here to buy the same car. It's not the only car the company made. If you're, if you're looking to buy a car and it's not like a limited edition special model or anything like that, 
chances are there'll be another one. There's always another one. They never just made one of any car. So if that's the case, walk away. Take some time to think, go and see another dealership. Go, go, and, go and do some internet research and take a moment away from that moment. Because when you're sitting at that desk, it's designed. Everything about the showroom, everything about what the salesman is saying to you is designed to make you feel like you have to make a decision right then and there. And some of you listening to this would have felt that pressure where if I walk away, I'm going to look broke, especially if you go to a high-end dealer, right? If you're in Mercedes or BMW and there's an element of it where you're black and they're like, ah, oh, no, you walked into the showroom and no one acknowledged you. No one came to talk to you like you don't have money. Now you're sitting down with someone. You don't want to walk away from a deal because you're proving everyone right. No, don't do that. Do not do that. I've seen people do that and they're calling me the next day asking, oh, can I get my thousand pounds deposit back? And sometimes even the dealership will try and do some nastiness and say, oh, just give us 200 pounds just to confirm it. But they don't always tell you that that 200 pounds is not refundable. So no matter what, what you put down, you can't walk away from this deal without losing your money. And, and to be honest, if they say stuff like that, that's always a key question to ask before you put any money down. If I change my mind, can I get a refund of this deposit? And you actually can. You actually can in a lot of cases. But when they give you an invoice or any paperwork, double check to see what you're signing. Because sometimes in very small print, it will say that even a portion of that deposit or the entire deposit is non-refundable. And that's something you've got to look out for, especially when you're dealing with online car brokers as well. So, um, and recommendations from friends are always a key element of that. Finding, finding the right dealer, finding someone who's honest, finding someone who is going to look after you is crucially important. And if they've helped out one of your friends, chances are they're going to do the same for you. So once you've gone through all of that, so you've looked at your needs, you've done your budget in, you know the five different ways of car buying, you've, you've shopped around, now it's time for the negotiation. From your shopping around, you should know what the market rate for this car is. And that's a key thing. Whatever that top line figure is, whatever the, the price they have in the window is, you need to know that that's a fair price. You need to have a good understanding of what that is. Then when it comes to be the primary negotiation, you need to be unreasonable. If you feel uncomfortable asking for a certain level of discount, that is precisely the amount of discount you should ask for. At the same, like if you're like in um, Egypt or Morocco or one of those countries that where they, where you know they're inflating prices because they know you're not from the country. So whenever someone says this is 10 pounds, you go and say, I'm going to give you two pound 58. I like it or lump it. That's exactly how you need to approach it in a dealership, no matter how high-end the dealership is. Whether it's Land Rover, whether it's Lexus, whether it's Mercedes, or even if it's, it's Nissan or Peugeot, Citroen even. It doesn't matter. Make an uncomfortable offer. So if, ask for two or three grand off the car. If it's a, if it's a more expensive car, ask for 10 grand off the car. Ask. Because if you don't ask, you don't get. And there's a key element in negotiation where you're, it's called framing where you're setting an expectation in the person's mind. Setting an expectation in the person's mind, so now they think that's your minimum. So where I say, all right, cool, I, want, I need 2,000 pounds off this car. I came in here with a really set budget. So now you've said to that person that you're not going to move and you're going to be tough to move and they're going to be thinking, okay, this, this is going to be harder than I thought. That's what the salesperson is going to think. Because often in reverse, what they'll do is I'll ask you what your monthly payment is if it's a finance agreement. And I used to do this really cleverly. It's, it's a bit, it's one, of those, it's one of those tricky little things that, that you learn as a salesperson. So um, 
someone comes in and people really like to say the monthly payment was 200 pounds or 250 pounds so as soon as you said that i'll be like so if we found a perfect car for you and it came up to i don't know 217 pounds a month would you not take it and it's like it's only 17 pounds different right for your favorite car but when you look at that over a three-year period that 17 pounds is roughly 140 is what um 240 pounds a year over three years an extra 600 pounds you've taken out of your pocket 700 pounds you've taken out of your pocket just by agreeing to paying 17 pounds more and on top of that when i come back to you with a deal for this car or a price for this car on a monthly payment i'm not going to come back at 217 pounds i'm going to come back at 238 because now that you said 217 your price is no longer 200 i'm i'm ignoring everything that you said before you said 217 pounds I'm going to come back at 238. We're going to go back and forth a couple of times. And I know for a fact, you're going to buy this car for 225, 228 pounds a month. That's 28 to that's 25 to 28 pounds more a month for your car than you walked in there saying you're going to pay. So in reverse, when you go to the dealership and you're coming in and you look, the car is 10,000 pounds. You're like, I really want it for eight. The man's going to look at you like you're crazy. But he's going to know that you're the type of person or she's going to know that you're the type of person that's unreasonable, that is either being deluded and they're going to, even if they can only give you a maximum £500 discount off the car, they're going to get closer to that £500 faster, faster than they normally would. Because sometimes if you go in there and say, oh, I only want £300 off, they'll come back and say, okay, we gave you £100 off. Congratulations, you got a great deal when you wanted 300 so if you want 300 you need to ask you need to ask for a thousand you need to ask for a thousand you need to be uncomfortable with that initial offer and that's where being unreasonable comes in also when it comes to the structure of a car purchase deal there's often three elements to it that you need to consider first off is the price of the car the top line price of the car so whatever that price is you need to try and get some money off of that in the beginning what can i get off this car how much can i get off this car is a key consideration then the interest rate. So if you're buying a used car, the interest rates are variable. They don't tell you that. They like to add like whatever interest rate. I've seen some crazy interest rates where it's like 18%. And they say, oh, oh yeah, we don't do anything cheaper than that. That's a lie. That dealership might not do anything cheaper than that. But if you go into Google, any high street bank will give you a finance agreement for like 6%. And you can go and get that deal and then come back and buy the car cash according to the dealership. But obviously you have a monthly payment with whichever bank gave you the money. And the monthly payment is obviously going to be lower because they're charging you 6% interest versus 18%. But often most dealerships, they have more than one finance company that they use. So when I was at Mercedes-Benz, they had Mercedes-Benz finance, then they had Black Horse finance, and then they had another finance company that they could have tried you with. A lot of dealerships have multiple finance companies because multiple because each finance company will have a different criteria for accepting people for credit and they can adjust the interest rates. The interest rate at a used car dealership is a bit, it determines how much commission the dealership makes. So the higher the interest rate, so at, at Mercedes, they had interest rates as high as 13.1% and they had interest rates as low as 6.9%. But they would always come back at like, they would always give you an agreement that said 11.2% or something like that because they make the most money based on the amount of interest that you pay. And when it comes to negotiation, say you want, again, that example of I come back at 238 pounds a month when you said you only wanted to pay 217. How I've come from 238 pounds 
to that 225, 228 is number one, I've asked you for 200 pounds more deposit. And then number two, I get my managers to lower the interest rate from 11.9% to 9.9%, which is what we wanted anyway. If you're borrowing, like if you're buying a car for 2000 pounds, I mean, for 20,000 pounds, we're probably going to make on that maybe a thousand pounds worth of finance commission. So we're happy with that. We don't care. But to you, it looks like you got a great deal. All we did was tweak the APR a little bit. So looking at the interest rate is very, very important. And knowing what the minimum interest rate that, that a dealership does is crucial. When you're buying new cars, the interest rates are usually a lot lower. You can, you can get, right now, you can get interest rates as low as 2%, 3%. So with new cars, you usually can't negotiate the interest rate. Usually can't. However, you can get the freebies thrown in. So if you can't negotiate the interest rate, I always try and negotiate based on the extras. So I'm making sure I'm getting mats put in my car because some manufacturers don't put mats in the front or the back. I'm making sure that I get a full tank of fuel when I get when I'm doing that. And they always try and sell you this this paint and fabric protection thing. And depending on where you buy it from, it can be three hundred pounds. I know Porsche sell the same thing that Ford was selling for three hundred pounds. It's called Diamond, right? They sell it. Ford sell it for three hundred pounds. Porsche sell it for two thousand pounds. It just depends on where you're buying. It's the exact same products. You can get them to throw that in for free because even at even at Ford, that box of Diamond Bright that they send you for three hundred pounds, they buy it for about thirty pounds. Mercedes was selling the same thing for five hundred pounds. They call it different names. It's Diamond Bright or Star Guard. It's the same thing, exactly the same thing, and it's basically cost them nothing. So when they're throwing it into a deal and saying, oh, this, we usually charge 500 pounds for this. I'm giving you a great discount. I'm going to give you 250 pounds off of that. They're selling you something they got for 50 pounds. So you can get some perspective and make sure you get some of those extras thrown in if you can't negotiate the interest rate. The other thing, if you've got a part exchange, is a crucial element of the deal. Because often where you're trading in a car, which is what your part exchange is, you're trading in a car and they will undervalue that car because they want to be able to sell it at profit down the line. That's what they want to do. So if your car is really worth 3000 pounds at a wholesale level, remember wholesale, not retail, at a wholesale level worth 3000 pounds, they will try and get it off you for maybe 1500 pounds. If they're being nasty, they'll, the highest they'll probably go for a free for a car that's worth 3000 pounds in a trade deal is probably maybe two and a half, but there's a big jump from, 1,500 pounds to 2,500 pounds, you get 1,000 pounds back. And if you look at that, if you're financing over a two-year period, that, that roughly brings your monthly payment down by about 16 pounds a month, roughly, by having that extra 1,000 pounds go into the deal because your part exchange is considered part of your deposit. So with the part exchange itself, make sure you're getting a good value for it. And you can try and sell it pri privately, but that takes a longer time. Or you could try some of the some of the external brokers out there who will buy it off you for free. So the likes of We Buy Any Car and all of these other companies that offer to give you cash for your car. Again, a lot of those companies are going to give you a cheaper rate because they're trying to sell your car on. But it may be better than what you'll get at a dealership. Often the best place to go and get a good part exchange price is if your is if your um, current car is like a Ford, you go back to Ford to get it. Because they know their car's best. They know, they know if they can fix it and sell it, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you can get a maximum price for your part exchange. Even if you only get an extra 50 pounds more for it, ask for it. 
ask for everything, exhaust every area of the deal before you have to go into your pocket and produce more cash. Because that, the more deposit you put down, the less discount they need to give you. They're going to act like, because often where they ask you to put down an extra 500 pounds, you don't know how much that, may, that means in the deal because it's spread over a monthly payment, it includes your interest rate and all of those things. Um, you don't know what that really looks like. So they come back and maybe the car's only four pounds a month cheaper after you put 500 pounds down, but you actually don't know that they increased the interest rate on you. And, um, and that's what's really made that difference. So it could have been four pounds different. It's four pounds different now, but it could have been 20 pounds different if they never raised the interest rate. So they're going to try and tweak the deal in different ways to make sure they make money. So it's important for you to make sure that you're pulling back as much money for yourself. So going through the stages again, you've identified your needs, you've looked at your budget, you've thought of how you're going to buy the car, you've shopped around, you looked at negotiating. The other thing is owning and maintaining the car. There are a couple of key areas that you need to pay attention to when it comes to buying any vehicle, no matter whether it's a Beamer, Benz or Bentley, like the title of this episode. So first and foremost is the terms of your agreement. So if you're getting one of these um, a, a PCP agreements where you don't own the car at the end, or it's a personal lease or a business lease, you need to be very, very careful about damage. Because what happens is if you come back and the car is scratched or it's, it has any other issues, they could charge you for that. So it could be things like you're over your mileage. So on these agreements, they usually set a monthly, they usually set an annual mileage. So they maybe say 10,000 miles a year. So on a three-year agreement, you need to bring back this car with no more than 30,000 miles. If it comes back with more than that, they could charge you um, a certain amount for each mile you're over. And that only really applies if you're giving the car back to them. So in the PCP agreement, if you're trading it in, it's less of an issue. But in a, in a personal lease or business lease, if you're giving back the car, they will definitely charge you for any miles that you're over. In addition to that, you need to be mindful of who, who has serviced your and maintained your car that, in that whole period because you can void your agreement if you haven't maintained it with, I don't know, if, if, if you've got a Range Rover, if you haven't, if, you, if in the agreement it says it needs to be rain. It needs to be maintained by a Range Rover approved mechanic and you haven't done that, you could be violating your agreement and it could be a fee attached to that as well. If you're on a PCP agreement and you're coming to trade in your car, that affects you as well because the more damage, on, in fact, this happened to my girlfriend. So she got a brand new V. It was a secondhand VW. So it was about two years old when she got it. And she had just learned to drive and she had scratched uh, the life out of this thing it was it had had some serious damage to it so they looked at this car and they basically said remember that balloon figure at the end where it said it was your guaranteed minimum future value it's not your guaranteed minimum future value necessarily it's based on the condition the car comes back in so if you've got lots of damage on your car you may find that if that figure at that balloon figure at the end is four thousand pounds your car may not be worth the £4,000 because it's got, to, it's got too much damage on it. And if it's not worth that and you're coming to trade it in or hand back the car, if your car's worth £3,000 because of all the damage, you will have to pay that £1,000 difference to either trade in that car or give them back the car. So it's really, really important that you understand the terms of your agreement before you sign it. That is a crucial element of it. The other thing is when it comes to ending your agreement, if it's a finance agreement, so this applies to a higher purchase or a PCP agreement. 
and I'll come on to business lease and personal lease in a second, but for the higher purchase and PCP agreement, when you're approximately halfway through the term, so if it's a three-year deal when you're about 18 months in, or if it's a, um, a four-year deal when you're about 24 months in, you can just trade, you can just give them back the keys and walk away. Depending on your contract, roughly around a 50% point in the, in the contract, you can actually walk away from the deal. So you don't get anything back, but you just give them back the car and you no longer have to pay for it. That's something that a lot of people don't know and it doesn't actually say. So if you find yourself some financial difficulty, you could actually get out of your agreement faster. Or if you find that the car doesn't make sense for you, you can hand back the keys and there is no penalty for doing that. That's something that you need to understand. Double check the terms of your agreement for handling it back before you sign it. And make sure you ask these questions in the dealership. Ask the question. So when it comes to terminating an agreement early for a business lease or personal lease, you may find that you may you can terminate early, but if it's a 12-month agreement, for example, and you're only six months in, you may just have to pay whatever the monthly payments were for the remaining six months and walk away. Depending on where you are, you could, depending on, depending on where you are in your agreement, so whether it's a four-year agreement and you're two years in, there may be a point where you reach and you can hand it back as well but you need to double check because there may be an administration fee or a processing fee. But generally with leases, what you can do, if you want to walk away from the deal at any point, you can go back to them and say, I need to leave this agreement. And they will probably try and charge you a lump sum for the remaining monthly payments. So say, for example, your monthly payment was only £100 and you've got 12 months left in your agreement. So you owe £1,200. They will often try and charge you that £1,200 and say, that's fine, we'll take back the car, you just pay off the remainder of the contracts. You can always negotiate that. That's what they don't tell you. So if you come back and say, you know what, I can pay you the £600 rather than the £1,200, can we come to an agreement on that? Many times they will say yes. It is something that you can negotiate. That's the difference between those lease agreements. They are highly, highly more negotiable. So it's always something to bear in mind for that. Now, the other thing is the add-on products. They're always trying to sell you these extra things after they've got you to buy the car. So I've seen things where it's tire and alloy insurance. So if you get any scratches or any punches, they'll come and repair you that. If you get any scratch, there's, there's bodywork and paint insurance. So if you get any scratches or dents, um, they'll come and repair that for you. And there's also gap insurance. So the first two I mentioned, the tire and alloy ones, I don't think that the tyrant alloy as well as the bodywork insurance is not worth it because there's so many terms and conditions to it. So for example, if you get a, so if you get a tire and alloy insurance, if you get a puncture, maybe your agreement only allows you to have one repair a year. What happens if you puncture both your tires? You can only claim one and you have to pay for the other one. Also, depending on how far, how long it's been since um, the thing happens. So if you scratch your alloy, you have to usually submit the claim within two weeks. Otherwise, they're not going to repair it. So looking at all of these terms and conditions, sometimes it's just not worth it because those ones are usually the most expensive ones. Like the bodywork insurance is probably the shistiest product I've ever seen. So they measure the depth of the scratch. So if it's, just, if it's, if it's like a really thin scratch, the type of thing that maybe you are driving past the bush and... Some, some branches just made a really soft scratch, the type of thing you can polish out, they'll cover for that. But if you walk past and your handbag scratched it a little bit, usually not covered. They'll say it's too deep and you've got to pay more to get it repaired. So most of the scratches you're going to get on your car are going to be the second type where it's a little bit deep rather than the standard ones. 
and they're not going to cover it. So there's no point in really getting it. The one thing I will say, if especially no matter how you're buying your car, whether it's cash or finance, is to get gap insurance. It's called guaranteed asset protection. That's the full name. And what that does is your car is depreciating all the time. So the second you drive it away, you're already losing money on it, right? So you've got a 10,000 pound car in the UK, VAT is 20%. So the second you drive away on that car, you've already lost two grand. You've got eight grand worth of value in the car, roughly, right? Now, if you go and have an accident with that car, if you've got a finance agreement, your finance agreement is still 10,000 pounds. You still owe the 10,000 because that's what you borrowed. But you the insurance company may write off your car and only pay you 8,000. In that scenario, you still owe the finance company 2,000 pounds. The gap insurance guaranteed asset protection will pay you the two grand difference. So at least you can pay the finance company and get out of the deal. It's even worse if you paid cash for the car because now you've just spent 10 grand. You're only going to get eight grand back from the, from the insurance company. And it's been less than two months since you had the car. So what gap insurance allows you to do is to get that two grand back so you're not out of pocket. The best scenario for gap insurance is say it's been like two years since you bought the car. You've paid down your finance. So um, maybe the car is worth five grand, the finance is only six grand, but the, to the total price of the car was 10,000 in the beginning. If you write off your car then, two years into your agreement, they're not gonna pay you the five grand, they're not gonna pay you the six grand, they're gonna pay you the 10 grand you paid for the car in the beginning. And that's why I think this is the best insurance you can get because it protects you financially. It's not about the car, it's about you. Because all the other insurance things, the paint treatment and all of that, it's all about making the car look nice. It doesn't actually help you, it doesn't serve you. Gap insurance serves you. You can buy it from the dealer, it's usually more expensive to buy it in the dealership. You can also get it online, but some of the terms and conditions can be a little bit dicey. So I'll weigh up the two and see which one you can get. No matter what, it's usually going to be cheaper to have gap insurance than to not have gap insurance because insurance companies are very, very likely to write off your car now because, your car, because cars are so much technically advanced now. There's so much computers and all of this stuff in the car that they just say it's not worth fixing. It doesn't matter. We'll sell it at auction and we'll just pay you off whatever we've got. And usually it's not what you want. It's not the full amount of money that you want. So to round out this discussion on, on the car buying process, just a couple of things to watch out for. I mentioned them before. So I mentioned the first one before, which is a part exchange prices. Always pay attention to that because they are in the business of buying cars, not selling cars. So I mean, they're in the business of selling cars, not buying cars. And some salespeople will say that to you. They're in the business of selling cars, not buying cars. So they're never going to buy it from you for a fair price because they're looking at selling it. That's it. They're not going to keep it to drive. They're, keep, they're taking it off you to sell it either on the forecourt right there or at auction. And that's something to bear in mind throughout the car buying process. It's their job to sell. The next thing is maintenance costs. Maintenance costs is another thing that catches people out massively. Because you may buy a cheap car, but you need some bit. Perfect example. People buy smart cars because they're small, thinking they're cheap. But they forget that is made by BMW. The parts in a smart car are very similar to that of a one series. The price difference between the two, when you go to the forecourt to buy one, could be as much as 10 grand. But the maintenance costs is the same. The same applies for a Mini, because that's a BMW in disguise as well. So when you're looking at these things, you have to realize that the maintenance costs are very, very similar. And 
VW is probably the best example of it because they own so many different car manufacturers. So VW owns Audi, they own Porsche, they own Lamborghini, they own um, Seat. So you're thinking you're buying a Seat and that's the cheapest model that they make. That's fine. But you may find that some of the parts in the Seat are exactly the same as the parts in a VW Golf and a VW Golf's parts are not cheap. So paying attention to those things is crucially important because it's, how, it's not how you buy the car, it's how you can live with the car that's most important. You're essentially, when you're buying a car, most people change their car every two to three years because of PCP agreements. You're basically getting into a two to three year relationship. The least you can do is know about the person or thing you're getting into this relationship with. You wouldn't sign up to date someone to be in a relationship with someone for two years just because you met them at a bus stop. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sign a contract right then and there saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be with you for the next 36 months. And also I'm going to pay you 250 pounds a month for the pleasure. You would never do that. So make sure you do your research on the car. The final thing is to be careful, is to be very, very careful as to when the new model is coming out, because that will affect the value of your car. Often a lot of manufacturers, what they do now is they change their cars every four to five years. But in the middle, they will do like one random adaptation and call it a facelift. BMW were famous for doing this in the beginning, but now a lot of manufacturers do it. They'll basically change the front, add maybe two headlights and a stripe on the side and say it's a new version. It's exactly the same car. They just change the front a little bit. But well, what that does mean is that because a new model's come out, it means that your car is less valuable because it's now older and doesn't look like the one most people are seeing on the street. Very often what you'll find is when a new model, in fact, I was at Mercedes when the E-Class was coming out, the new shape E-Class that started coming out, I want to say 2016, 2017. Um, and what they had is they had a bunch of the old model and they were selling them off cheap, which is why I had an E-Class for so long as my company car. This car was 10 grand one, sorry, it was 40 grand one day, 44,000 pound one day. The next day it was 32,000. Now, if you're someone who bought that car two weeks before, your car's lost 12 grand worth of value and it's got nothing to do with you. Your car, is, your car may just have 100 miles on it. But now that the manufacturer's discounted it by 12 grand and is trying to get rid of all of these cars because the new version is coming out and they don't want the old ones anymore, you've now had to take that loss as well. Because now you're never going to be able to sell your car for what it was worth when you bought it. So be careful of those deals where it's like, oh, yeah, we're giving away this car. It's such a great deal. It's usually because the new one's coming out. And they don't want this old car that is not going to be worth anywhere near as much as they were trying to sell it for two weeks beforehand. So they're trying to pass that on to you. So being very, very aware of the change cycle or when the new models are coming out will, make, will help you make a better decision. And also, it can be a great time to buy a car if you're not planning on changing it. So if you always, in the example of the E-Class that I had, if you've always wanted to have a nice E-Class and you wanted that specific one, great time to get 12 grand off a car if that's the one you wanted. So if you're, if you're paying attention to when they're changing, you know you can get a great deal on the old one. That's a great, that's a, that's a fantastic time to buy for you. But if you're trying to get the latest and greatest, it's the worst time for you to buy. So paying attention to that. So now we've covered quite a lot in that section. So we've covered your need for a car, your budget for a car, how you, how you want to buy the car, shopping around, negotiating for a car, maintaining the car, and some of the pitfalls you can have when it comes to buying a car. And now it's time for a quick tip. This is something that I've seen save not thousands of people in the dealership. Not all of them are my customers, but other people that have come into the dealership. They went car shopping, they went car shopping with someone who knew something about cars. They know a little bit about cars. I'm not saying it needs to be an expert, but you just need to know when someone is talking nonsense to you. 
you need you need someone who is going to say you left your house with a five thousand pound budget for this car or a fifty thousand pound budget for this car. Do not come in here and play yourself. They will drag you to the toilet. They will make you go outside and and talk to them. They will they will be kicking you under the table when the salesperson is like, yeah, yeah, this is a good deal. This is a good deal. They'll be kicking you under the table to remind you that this is reality, not fantasy. The other thing that is crucial as a quick tip is you should always have a long test drive. I know a lot of manufacturers are offering you like 24 hour test drives now and weekend test drives. Always take them. Even if it's only a one, even if it's only a test drive on a day, what you need to do is do a test drive where you mix up the driving terrain. So you go over speed bumps, you go on fast roads, you go on slow roads, you turn corners, you go up hills, you go down hills. Because one of the things that most people forget is that they have to live with this car. Try and drag out your test drive for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, even an hour, if you can get it. Because this is, this is for your benefit, it's not for the salesperson. You should not care if the salesperson's got five appointments that day with other people coming to buy the car. That's their own business. I came to buy this car and I'm going to drive it for an hour. If you don't like it, then I won't buy it. Because what people forget is that sometimes this car is going to be a nightmare to go over speed bumps because it's, it's going to hurt your back every time. Sometimes you realize that the seating position makes it hard for you to turn corners because you don't realize how, how far back the seat is or that you can't see the front of the car or you can't see out the back window properly. There's all sorts of different things that you find when you do a long test drive because often a salesperson is going to try and make you drive in a straight line for 10 minutes, but that doesn't tell you anything about the car. So make sure that you're taking a long test drive and that you're also going shopping with someone who knows a little bit about cars or is strong enough to tell you not to make a bad decision in the moment. Now, actionable next steps. We always like to leave you with actionable next steps after every episode. Three things that everyone listening can do right now to get ready for their next car purchase is number one, check your affordability. Go to blackmillennialmoney.com and download the true cost of car ownership doc that's going to be attached to this episode. Download it, run your numbers, make sure you're actually really understanding what it's going to cost and be real with those numbers. Go on Google and Google what the average cost of monthly fuel is or the average cost of insurance is just to give you some perspective because if you start using the tool and then you make every number one pound, one pound, one pound to fit your narrative agenda over facts, you're going to end up messing yourself up financially. So check your affordability as your first step. Be clear on why you want to buy the car and how long you want it for as a second step. That's a crucial thing. And there is nothing wrong with buying a car for image. There is nothing wrong with wanting cars that the doors go up. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But be honest with yourself. Don't say, oh yeah, I need it for the school run. Why does it need to do zero to 60 in two seconds then? Why does it only have two doors if you have to put a car seat in the back? Be real with yourself. It's fine. Actually, just be real with yourself. Accept the decision that you're making. And knowing how long you need to have the car for, if you, if you can look into your future for the next two to three years and nothing's going to come in that's going to potentially change things massively, obviously life happens, right? But if you're planning on buying a house, having a big finance payment will make it harder for you to get a mortgage. If you're planning on getting married um, or buying a house or doing something else major, significant life change, having kids all of these things will come into effect and whether or not you should have this car now how you buy it and how long you have it for you know i've seen some sad people come to the dealership people handing back their their brand new convertible keys 
I saw, what was, what was this guy buying? There was one guy that came in and he was buying a S-Class Coupe. S-Class Coupe. S, it's a four-door, sorry, it's a two-door car, but it's got four seats in it. He had had it for like eight months. Found out his missus having a second baby. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. Coming back to hand back these keys. Didn't realize he was going to be a dad for a second time. Now he has to get something not quite as fast, a lot cheaper, a lot older. And now he's given up his, at the second love of his life. Perspective. Make sure you know what, how long you're going to be in it for. And finally, research your next car. Google is your best friend. As I said, you're about to make a commitment to this car. You're going to sign a contract to this car for the next two to five years because some finance agreements can even be up to seven years. Some higher purchase agreements are seven years long. You're about to commit that length of time to your life so that length of time of your life to something, you better know it. You better be confident in it because two years is a long time. We've seen people get married, meet, get married, and get divorced in less than two years. A lot can change in two years. So make sure you know what you're doing when it comes to these cars. That brings us to the end of this episode. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. It has been a little bit weird being by myself, but I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I hope you've got lots of value. This was definitely a pen and paper episode. Remember to go over to Black Millennial Money and download the resources associated with this episode, the True Cost of Car Ownership Calculator, simply to make it easier for you to follow some of the numbers in this episode. And also listen back, share this episode with your friends. Fast forward to the bit where you want to, the way you want to share with other people and make sure they're listening to it. Because there is lots of value in this and these are things that you don't often hear when it comes to buying cars because there's not that many people are going to be real with you when it comes to a car buying space. I don't sell cars anymore. I have nothing to lose. So I'm happy to share all the information. Um, as always, you can find us on blackmillennialmoney.com. Follow us on Instagram at BMM Global. My personal LinkedIn will be in the show notes if you want to reach out and talk to me. If you want to be on the show, if you want to advertise your business on the show, let me know. Send me an email at blackmillennialmoney.com. We are, have, we are going to be adding advertising slots very, very soon. So if that's something you want to be doing for your business, if you know someone that wants to promote their business, send us an email and we will get you on the show, at least for an advert. Maybe not for a full episode, but potentially for an advert. Next week, we are talking about making money. If you've enjoyed today and you're thinking, shoot, maybe I need to make some more money before I commit to this new Lamborghini, whatever it is. Tune in to a Make Money episode and we're going to put you onto some gems. See you next week. This is Black Millennial Money.